You are listening to a Crosspoint Peachtree City podcast. For more information, please visit our website at www.crosspointptc.com. last time that you found yourself staring at the ceiling into the, the late hours of the night, maybe on into the early morning, perhaps even tossing and, and turning amidst a sea of anxious thoughts. I think I'm finally coming to grips with the fact that the Lord wants me to understand and experience from the inside what I'm preaching to others, because last night was one of the crummiest nights of sleep that I've gotten in 2023, and it wasn't because there was anything on my mind. It was just that the, the temperature wasn't right, and the sheets weren't right, and I just couldn't get comfortable, and just moved around throughout the course of the night. For most of us, we don't have to think too far back to recall the last time we failed to get a good night's sleep. Psalm 4, it's considered an evening psalm with its too good to be true in the minds of some language of lying down and sleeping in peace, which many believe to be a companion to Psalm 3, the preceding psalm, which is a morning psalm that speaks of David having awakened to yet another day, God having sustained him through the night. According to a great many scholars, the, the context in which these two Psalms were written being the rebellion and treason of David's son, Absalom, who turned on David and sought for himself the throne, stealing the hearts of many of the men of Israel along the way, forcing David, Israel's anointed king, to, to flee from Jerusalem, his own son seeking his life. I mean, think for a moment about the, the tragedy of it from David's perspective, betrayed not only by those you've led and served, but by one of your very own children. And yet the betrayal alone doesn't capture the, the full tragedy as Absalom would go on to die in battle against his, his own father's men, speared through the heart numerous times while hanging from a tree. It's a crazy story. Absalom's death leading David not to celebrate, but, but to weep bitterly in overwhelming grief. It's a tragic story of unthinkable loss, which is why it comes as no surprise that Psalm 4 is a psalm of lament. A lament simply defined as a prayer in the midst of grief and loss that leads to trust. The prayer language of the people of God as we journey through a broken world on our way to glory. It may surprise some to learn that there are actually more lament psalms than there are uh, hymns of praise in the book of Psalms making up roughly a third of the Psalms, the Lament Psalms do. A declaration that suffering and sorrow are un undeniably part of the human experience. Right? We live in a broken world. You don't need me to tell you this. A world filled with sin and suffering. None of us exempt from experiencing something of that brokenness, be it grief or loneliness, sickness, or betrayal, heartache, in a lament, we encounter the writer pouring out his heart to God, his sorrow, his anger, his fear, his confusion, his disappointment. God wants us to bring those things to him. 
to lay bare our sorrows, our frustrations, our questions. He's big enough to handle it. And not to bring those things to him that we might remain forever in the cul-de-sac of sorrow, but that our honest expression might be a conduit that moves us to, towards God's grace, leading us to deeper trust in him, to deeper dependence upon him, knowing that no matter how things may look or how we feel in our present situation, that God's character and promises are true. In other words, we can lament in a way that honors God. We can name what's broken in this world in full disclosure while crying out to God to, to fix what's broken and trusting him in the midst of that brokenness. That we don't have to fear bringing our frustrations to him as he, he longs for a relationship with us. And oftentimes, as, as many of us know, relationships are, are most beautifully forged in the furnace of affliction in a world in which the promises of scripture must be believed through tears. I've shared this quote before. The 17th century Scottish pastor and theologian Samuel Rutherford once said, when I'm in the cellar of affliction, I look for the Lord's choicest wines. It's in the dark places that, that we can name that which is broken, inviting God into our sorrow, into our pain. It's in the dark places that we can know God's comfort and care. It's in the dark places that we can model for others what a relationship with Jesus truly is in all of its heartache and beauty. Picking up in verse one, this Psalm begins with these words. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. How does such tragedy happen to the Lord's anointed? It's a question that many have wrestled with throughout redemptive history. The question having undoubtedly uh, led many to turn away from God. I've been obedient. One of the good ones, Lord. Look at all that I've done for you. And yet my current circumstances in life look like this. In a moment of great tragedy, when it might have been easy to turn from God, David does the opposite, as is typical in a lament psalm, and turns to the Lord. Which might sound incredibly basic, right? But as we know, it's easier said than done. If we're honest, right? we live in a world filled with numbing agents, a world in which it's easy to anesthetize. It's incredibly easy to turn to things other than God, whether it be to numb or to cope or to escape. Oftentimes, good things distorted. Good things made God things. Good things made ultimate things. Functional saviors, you might say, that we turn to to deliver us from the personal hells of grief and loss. Broken cisterns, empty wells. Christian lament, it begins with a turning to God turning in the right direction, choosing to run to him in the midst of the suffering and sorrow. David turns to God in his dark night of the soul, declaring, answer me, O God, uh, when I call, O God of my righteousness. You've given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. David here recognizing that God is righteous. Every judgment, every decision, every determination completely just this righteous God having made a covenant with David, having established his kingdom, 
having promised him a throne forever. David declaring, you've come through before in time of need. Be gracious in hearing my cries and come through again, Lord. The word translated distress, carrying with it the imagery of of cramped quarters, meaning when the pressure mounts, when the world is caving in, which is incredibly poetic. If David was indeed inspired by his enemies, led by one of his own sons, pressing in on him. The word translated relief, carrying with it the imagery of growing wide or enlarging. You see the imagery here? I'm hemmed in by my enemies, God. They're caving in on me. Be gracious to me, O Lord, and pushing them back. David recognizing that God doesn't owe him relief. This is no older brother in the prodigal story sort of language here. I've obeyed you, God, you owe me. Hence the language of graciousness or favor. As God's child, David cries out for the unmerited favor of God. A prayer that at times God answers in outwardly visible ways, other times with the inward peace that leads to sleep regardless of circumstance. And sadly, the the church, and I use that broad brushstroke language, doesn't preach the second of those two as, as often as she should. David goes on, in verse two, oh men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? David's authority as God's anointed king has been brought into question. His honor turned into shame by men having loved vain words, having sought after lies. The, the word translated vain meaning empty, empty words, hollow words, futile words. Having seduced them, David's enemies, to stand against David and ultimately against God. Along with lies, which some of your translations have as false gods. The idolatrous hearts of those having once stood with David, now chasing after other lovers, so to speak. Power, control, there's nothing new under the sun. And these enemies of David, not just any men, but men of prominence. The Hebrew word translated men referring to those of exalted state, the wealthy, the powerful, those of influence. Having turned on Israel's anointed king, the worthy of honor, David treated with shame, scoffed at by those seduced by lies. How long, David cries. You find those words in a great many lament psalms, right? However, in most cases, the how long of the psalmist is directed to God in wrestling with the Lord's delay in answering the cry, here directed at David's enemies in rebuke of those having turned against David and ultimately against God. Followed, this word is, by the word selah, word that we don't ultimately know the precise meaning of, though many scholars understand it to be some kind of musical notation, the most likely being an invitation to pause and marvel at God and his mighty works to stand amazed before moving on to the next of the lyrics. To those who stand against David and ultimately against the Lord, Selah, pause, consider the Lord, consider what you're doing. Verse three, but no, David says that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him, but... With these lyrics, one of the the many great howevers in scripture, 
as David declares God's faithfulness to and presence in the lives of his people, those who are loyal and faithful to the covenant, who turn from false gods and to the Lord in fidelity and trust, a God who hears when his people call to him. David here remembering who he is and whose he is in a moment when it would be so incredibly easy to forget. The Lord's chosen one, a set-apart child of the promise. Right? How easily we forget our, our true and deepest identity, especially when the pressure mounts and the world feels like it's caving in. Or perhaps at times, not so much a forgetting problem, but a trusting problem as it pertains to our identity in functional saviors, trusting in our spouses or children, our financial picture or physical health. David rests in a moment of great tragedy in his identity in the Lord. God set apart one whom God hears when he calls. In the words of Charles Spurgeon, in Christ, we are set apart as God's own peculiar treasure. I like that language. David goes on in verse four, be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Some on the one hand, understanding David here to be exhorting those with him and for him to humbly trust in God, to sit with a righteous anger that recognizes wickedness for what it is, while not going so far as to allow that anger to become resentment or bitterness continuing to trust that God is indeed righteous and is worthy of our trust, even when things seem upside down, when wickedness seems to have all the leverage, so to speak. Others, on the other hand, understanding David here to be addressing the very ones who stand against him. The phrase be angry in the most literal of translations being tremble or quake. So that perhaps David is calling his enemies here to ponder what they're doing, to sit with and reflect on the consequences of their ongoing rebellion. Selah, pause, consider the Lord. Think about what you're doing right now. He continues in verse five, offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. Whether directed to his friends or his enemies, David continues with an exhortation to not only offer right sacrifices to the Lord, but to turn to him in, in trust as the Lord doesn't delight in mere sacrifice, but sacrifice offered in submission to and trust in him. As David famously writes elsewhere in the Psalms, we'll look at this Psalm at some point this summer, Psalm 51, verse 17. David declares, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. The Lord is pleased to forgive and restore those who come to him in sincere repentance and trust. David says, verse six, there are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. David here alluding to the priestly benediction. We looked at that just a couple months ago, Numbers chapter six, spoken by God to Moses uh, over 3,000 years ago, a word of blessing that's been passed on throughout the generations. We sing it this day, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The face of God shining upon his people, communicating something of God's delight in his beloved. 
with which many, perhaps those with and for David, struggled. Disillusioned in the midst of, of unmet expectations and real danger in real time. Right? It's not uncommon, is it? To wonder whether God is, is with and for us when we're experiencing circumstantial difficulties and troubles. Who will show us some good when all seems dark and hopeless? Where are you, God? It seems like you're absent on the basis of present circumstance. David declares, there are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. And yet I say, verse seven, you have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound, my enemies. In the midst of the most devastating of situations, his son having betrayed him, his son having been murdered by his own men in the midst of his betrayal, no opportunity for restoration, for reconciliation in that relationship, this side of heaven. David speaks of a joy, an inner gladness of heart in this season of life, one that surpasses the gladness of his enemies as if as it's a joy sustained not by circumstance, but by God himself. Famously, Psalm 16, verse 11, you have this language, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Fullness of joy, never lacking, Pleasures forevermore, never ending. These are the words of a Christian hedonist, a man who pursues his greatest joy ultimately in God himself more than anything else. It's not to say that, that these are the words of a man who didn't grieve. That wouldn't be honest, right? We know that David experienced a great deal of grief and sorrow. Rather, it's to, to say that David understood that in the presence of God, there is a peace and joy even when the dark night of the soul is the darkest. A man who knew that the greatest, most lasting pleasure in all the universe is found in God himself, not the winds of circumstance. John Calvin, in his commentary on this psalm, he says, the sum is that he, David, had more satisfaction in seeing the reconciled countenance of God beaming upon him than if he had possessed garners full of corn and cellars full of wine. David understood that in life and death, nothing could keep him from a full and forever joy. His joy sustainable through the darkest night of the soul, his enemy's joy circumstantial at best. This psalm ending with these words. I love this verse. In peace, he says, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. We have these words framed up in our bedroom to remind us of who God is and who we are in him to settle us. Sleep, it's an act of faith. It's a gift from God and not a lying down and sleeping in peace because all is going well, but rather a lying down and, and sleeping in peace in the midst of the most tragic of betrayals and losses. When we lie down at night and, and close our eyes in sleep, we're, we're in essence saying, I'm not God. 
but I am his beloved. Declaration that we can sleep, not only because God never does, hallelujah, but because we truly trust him with our lives. Alec Motyer, a scholar, a theologian, in his work on the Psalms, he says, nighttime reflects the perfect ordering of things. And those who know that they and all their affairs and their loved ones are in the hands of a totally and gloriously sovereign God lay their heads on that truth as on the softest pillow and await the divine hand that closes their eyes. That we need not eat the bread of anxious toil, to use the language of Psalm 127, for he gives to his beloved sleep. That the Christian life, it's a, it's a striving to rest a striving to trust in the Lord, a striving to keep our eyes fixed on the Lord, a striving to keep our hearts softened in faith, a striving to be satisfied in the Lord come what may, confident in the Lord our God who will never abandon nor forsake us, such confidence giving rise to, to that which this world with devils filled cannot take from us, namely inner joy and peace. I mean, I find it fascinating to, to think that David's enemies in this psalm are called to tremble, to sleeplessly ponder their motivations and decisions in the dark of night, while David, the one who truly knows what it is to be hemmed in, real tragedy, the deepest of loss, can sleep well. Concerned, yes, but not anxious which some might say, that's incredibly discouraging, Jamie. That'll never be me in the midst of my dark nights of the soul. To which I would simply remind all of us, myself included, that David was not a superhero. Some people preach the Bible that way, but it's just not true. He was a human being like you and me. He sinned, and grievously so, in ways that many of us will never sin. He bled real blood, he died a real death. Psalm 4 isn't a Davidic psalm of self-proclaimed greatness, but rather a song that sings of God's goodness and grace. Which leads me to a question that we'll seek to answer each week of this series. Namely, how does this psalm point to Jesus? Well, as scripture declares, and many of you know, Jesus is the greater David. Like David, set apart by God, the Lord's anointed one, though worthy of honor, like David, treated with shame, scorned by men of exalted state, the political and religious leaders of his day, the scribes, the Pharisees, who had managed not only to miss the, the law's heart-piercing demand by way of their insulated rules, but were like Absalom, leading others down a path of destruction. Jesus, the innocent sufferer, handed over by Judas in the greatest betrayal the world has ever known, driven outside the city like David by his enemies where he would die. He who faced not only the prospect of death, but who as the greater David died in our place that we might live. The man of sorrows in whom because he lives, we have access to God's throne of grace that we might find mercy and grace for help in time of need. In the darkest of nights, he who will never leave us nor forsake us, through whom the light of the Father's face shines upon us in reconcilement, set apart as God's own peculiar treasure by grace through faith in Jesus. 
He in whom we can know a peace that surpasses understanding and a joy that sustains through the most unimaginable of tragedies. He with whom his people will someday forever dwell in safety, verse eight. As Jesus, the greater David, returns to execute justice and righteousness in the land, doing away with corruption and injustice forever and the casting out of his enemies, ushering the true citizens of his kingdom, a global citizenship into the bliss of the new heaven and earth, where righteousness and faithfulness and justice and peace shall reign forever. And as we longingly wait for that date, this psalm invites us to practice the presence of God. And not just meaning in times of meditation, on God's word, times of prayer, the spiritual disciplines, but too in the midst of the most ordinary activities of life. An ongoing awareness of the Lord who is intimately present with his people. So that even the, the darkest of nights cannot rob us of lasting joy and peace. Not a joy and peace uh, that rejoices in what's broken, even wicked, by no means, but a joy and peace that faces what's broken, even wicked, with confidence and trust. Laying our heads on the soft pillow of truth, namely that our lives are in the hands of a gloriously sovereign, good, and wise God who loves us and is for us and is with us and who will never forsake us. And then awaiting the divine hand that closes our eyes, he who gives to his beloved sleep. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions about this message, visit us at crosspointptc.com. There you can contact us, find further resources, and directions to our gatherings. That's C-R-O-S-S-P-O-I-N-T-E-P-T-C.com.